Well, good morning. Welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg, and I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. It is great to see all of you. Uh, Thank you so much for taking time to be with us this morning as we gather together to seek and engage with God. Uh, Have us being in that space. Will you please join me as I pray? Dear God, I give you great thanks for this day and for your presence in our lives. God, I do ask that... um, you know, we, we are here together for a reason, and there is something you want us to hear. There's an encounter with you that you are desiring we would have, God, and you, you desire that we have that collectively. There's a way that you speak to us uniquely when we are gathered here together, and so I pray we would hear that from you today. I pray we would hear that word and that we would be transformed, we would be changed, not by just some things were said or uh, some thoughts we had, but by a genuine encounter with the true living God. And so I pray that you would move in this place and that we would be responsive to you. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in week two of a 10-part exploration of the book of Acts. And last week, we started off by noting that Acts is actually the second volume of a larger literary work that was written by a guy named Luke. You may have heard of Luke before. Uh, He wrote uh, the first part of this volume, which is the Gospel of Luke. And we, we identified that this relationship, this connection between the two, uh, the, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, is important because they were written as kind of one work and they have this shared purpose, which was to make sure the recipient, this person named Theophilus, could trust that the things that he had heard about and been taught about Jesus and everything Jesus did and said both during his life before his death and resurrection and everything he did and said during his life uh, post-death and resurrection, make sure that was all true. And so that was Luke's goal in writing these. We also tried to prepare ourselves for uh, this exploration with a reminder from our time in the book of John where we learned that Jesus is not limited or controlled by any of our expectations desires, ideas, or beliefs about who he is and therefore how and when he should act and live. Instead, Jesus has stretched such a strong allegiance with God and such a strong intimacy with God that he's devoted to God's will and God's movements instead of the world's and oftentimes instead of ours. And so the question then is not how does Jesus match up to my ideas. It's not how does Jesus step into line with what I want him to be, but how do we become more like Jesus, and how do we follow him into an intimacy and a depth of relationship with the Father, where we, as Paul the Apostle would say later in the book of Acts, where we live and move and have our being in God. Or again, as we look back on the book of John, where we were invited by Jesus to abide in him, and that the way we do this is through the Holy Spirit, that Jesus lived his life empowered by the Holy Spirit to remain and abide in God's love, will, and purpose and that all things would be reconciled to God through Jesus' own life, death, and resurrection. And it was living in that that allowed Jesus to do the things he did. Last week, we asked the question, why are you still staring at the sky? In reference to this moment in the first chapter of Acts where Jesus has told the disciples that they're going to go stay in Jerusalem and that there they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them to go and be Jesus' witnesses throughout the whole world. He said, in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we we discovered that that was not just uh, limited to geography, but it had sort of implied in there that it meant you're going to go everywhere and in every situation you could think of and imagine and beyond that and you were going to go be my witnesses so you're going to be my witnesses in the midst of hatred in the midst of division in the midst of hurt 
in the midst of pain, in the midst of joy, and all kinds of things. All those places, you are going to go and be my witnesses. And you're going to bring people back into relationship with me. And there's going to be healing and reconciliation. We find that the disciples, even having been given this clear direction and this vision, are approached by these two guys in white robes. And we noted that anytime people show up in white robes, strangers in Scripture, you've got to pay attention to them because they're going to say something that you should hear. Uh, and they ask the, the disciples, why are you still standing here staring at the sky? The Jesus that you're looking for is gone. He's not there. He's told you where he's at. He's told you where you need to go and what you need to do. Why are you still standing here? And we ended with this challenge to ask ourselves, were we still staring at the sky, looking for Jesus someplace he wasn't, even though he had given us clear directions to be going into the places we are and be his witnesses in every situation and every place we may find ourselves in. Well, today we're going to be talking about prayer. Prayer throughout the book of Acts. The word prayer occurs 34 times in the book of Acts, and the act of praying is happening all throughout the book of Acts. And in a book that's only 28 chapters long, having a word that occurs that many times and having an action that's lived out all throughout the book, it should draw our attention. The challenge, though, that presents itself is as integral and connected to the book of Acts as prayer is, it is equally, if not more so, connected to the movement and the work of the Holy Spirit. And then in the book of Acts, prayer is not seen as possible and does not happen without the movement of the Holy Spirit. And it is through prayer that the Holy Spirit then uh, empowers his people, not only to worship God, but to be in that abiding place of intimacy with God that leads us to move and leads his people to action. And so it's in this relationship through prayer with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts that I want to I look at and how that empowers the mission that Jesus has given us to be his witnesses in every situation and in every place that we find ourselves in, even those where the darkness seems to be the strongest. As I've said, prayer occurs throughout the book of Acts. People are praying throughout the whole book. They have amazing things happen even when they're just on their way to go pray. They're praying all kinds of prayers on all kinds of different occasions, sometimes gathered, sometimes alone. There's this beautiful moment, and it just hit me this time going through the book of Acts where, uh, and we're going to talk about this later in the series, but I want to touch on it quickly, where we read that Peter comes into the city and it says he goes up onto the roof to pray. There was something about that that I, I think I've read that before, but we always focus on what's next, like what he heard. He has this vision uh, from God that is really transformative for him. But, but even that idea, I just had this picture of Peter climbing up onto the roof, being able to see out over the city, right? It just it became really vivid to me that he was up there having a moment with God. And there was something really beautiful about that. So sometimes people were, again, they were gathered. Sometimes they're on their own. Um, uh, there are times of celebration where the followers of Jesus, they're just praising God. There are times of fellowship where they're just together, and they're like, well, we're together, so let's pray. There are times of hardship where they intercede for their family and friends. There are times of hardship where they're not interceding for their family and friends, but they're suffering the hardship, and they're like, wow, this is awesome. Thank you, God. For I count it as an honor to, to be able to suffer for your sake, and, and they're doing that and expressing that through prayer. There are instances where they're praying to ask for discernment, helping make decisions. We have people getting knocked off horses and blinded, led away by some strangers to a place only to be healed. There are play- prayers of anointing, uh, commissioning people into certain roles and blessing them. There are prayers. People come together. It's their way of saying goodbye 
Prayers for people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are times when men, women, and children are praying together. Prayers for healing. Prayers to raise someone from the dead. Prayers being told, uh, people telling someone to pray and go repent. They really prayed over and for and in the midst of anything and everything. We read in Acts 2.42, a very famous passage of Scripture, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What does it look like? Be devoted to prayer. Because it's interesting, right after this passage, uh, the next part, we find two of the disciples, it says, they're heading off uh, to, to go pray. It was the time of prayer. They're heading to the temple because it's this time of prayer. And I was struck by that. I was like, oh, what's it like to have a time of prayer where it's just, it's just accepted? It's just known. Like, all of our jobs would give us a time. It's like, well, it's noon. We all go pray at noon, right? How awesome would that be? Right? And they had this time where they went to go pray. And then I realized I don't have to have, well, my job, I get to do that. Uh, but, uh, but at other times when I've had other jobs, I've had to make that time. Right, My job might not give it to me, but they do give me a half-hour lunch break. I go pray during that time. Throughout history, the church has set up different ways to pray. The bells, church bells would ring at noon. Everyone would stop and pray. We used to have this thing on campus where when the clock tower rang, at the different hours when you're walking in between classes, just as you're walking, you just say a quick prayer. There are all kinds of ways that we can establish these, these rhythms that are expressions of our devotion. So I hope you see in that that prayer is really all over the book of Acts. And I would love to take a look at each one of those moments. We're trying to look at it as a whole this morning. Okay, so there's prayer, but what does that have to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, everything. Uh, because what the Holy Spirit does is draw our attention to God and to Jesus. The Holy Spirit always moves to glorify God and to Jesus. And one of the ways the Spirit does that is by empowering us, empowering us to move outward in this singular mission to be Jesus' witnesses in every place and in every situation we find ourselves in. And prayer is the lifeblood for this to happen. We even read in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 3, it says this, Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And so the moment that we pray or do anything that acknowledges Jesus is Lord, we are engaged with the Holy Spirit. And I think it's this engagement with the Holy Spirit that allows us to kind of reframe prayer. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to take a minute and kind of reframe what prayer looks like. Because I was talking to uh, a friend of mine the other day about just some of our kind of prayer liturgy, right? Just some interesting things we do when we pray. Like if we're in a group of people and we put together a list, it's really important to us that everyone gets prayed for. And that's awesome that all the things on the list get prayed for. But it also seems weird to us if more than one person prays for another person, right? So we kind of like it to be, well, one person prays for this person, one person prays for the other person. And if someone prays for something twice or it gets prayed for a couple times, we kind of go, well, it's kind of out of order, right? We just don't, we just don't know what to do with that. Um, and, of course, we probably don't care in the end, but it always catches us a little bit. And we even talked about how, um, you know, on our list, we, you know, we, the person asked for prayer, and we pretty much pray verbatim exactly what they asked for, and that's fine. But sometimes we have other thoughts and things that happen during the time we're praying. There's really the Lord impressing on us something different, right? But we limit ourselves to, well, I just want to pray for that, that thing only. Uh, and the interesting thing was, is we were talking about what if someone asked you to pray for something that you didn't agree with? 
And this person said, I would actually rather have them pray for what they believe than pray for this other thing that I was wanting that they didn't agree with because that's honest, that's real. And I'd rather have that discussion happening than them just sort of placating to me in their prayers and being dishonest, right? Saying this thing before God that they didn't even believe. Oh, we don't like that. We, we have a certain, just our certain little liturgies for prayer. Uh, and one of the things that I've noticed uh, over the years is that uh, prayer seems pretty tame. Uh, we like it to be orderly. And so I want to explore that a little bit. Uh, if we look in Isaiah 31, verse 4, says this. This is what the Lord says to me. As a lion growls, a great lion over its prey, and though a whole band of shepherds is called together against it, it is not frightened by their shouts or disturbed by their clamor, so the Lord Almighty will come down to do battle on Mount Zion and on its heights. And you may be asking, and rightly so, what does this have to do at all with prayer? The word I want you to notice here is growls. And think of a lion about to eat growling and savoring what it's going to eat. Its sustenance, its life is in this meal. The Hebrew word for growl here is hagah. Now, I want to show you a couple other places where this word is used in Scripture. The first one is in Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates or hagahs on his law day and night. And in Psalm 63, 6, on my bed I remember you, I think of or hagah you through the watches of the night. It's just a couple examples of how this word is used. And in these passages, we can see that these Old Testament authors had a very different idea of meditation. And I think about interacting and thinking, interacting with God and thinking about Him. And I think this is true in the book of Acts also. One of the things I did that I always think is interesting is to go and see kind of what kinds of things other sources think about what we're talking about. So that's kind of this biblical, uh, one slice of this biblical perspective on prayer, that it's not just sort of very calm, but it is, it has this sense to it where there's a hunger in it, there's a lion growling and getting ready to feast. Uh, But this is what Google, in terms of images, uh, tells us that prayer is. Um, It says, hallowed be your name. Get a couple images here. And if you want, I think one thing that would be interesting is for you to shout out some of the things you notice. Uh, feel free to shout it out out loud. Just some of the things you see in these pictures. And you might wait till we go through a couple of them. Uh, maybe these are like the top 20, 25 pictures that show up when you do a Google search and prayer and, uh, for images. Focused. Right. Adorable. Passive. Peaceful. Humble. What's that? Yeah. Yep. Restrained. What's that? Angels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 
Hmm. Eyes closed. Yeah. Lots of hands. Hands folded. Sometimes hands open. But lots of hands. We've got a few more here. This one was an interesting one, kind of different from the rest. <laughs> yeah. We'll do a couple more. Yeah, that one, there's at least multiple hands in there. Let's see if there's anything really different in here. A couple more. Yeah, that's pretty much, that's pretty much, there's a few more, but they're all kind of the same, along the same lines. I notice a lot of the same uh, things you all did. There are lots, there's lots of beauty in those pictures, um, but there's also stillness. There's, uh, in some senses, a really strong sense of uh, not just being alone, but, but uh, it's kind of closed posture, hands closed hunkered up, and sometimes that's really necessary, right? Sometimes. Um, another interesting thing was when you uh, do the search, and if, you're, uh, if your computer's not super fast and the images don't just come up right away, they come up as a, as a square or a rectangle that's kind of got the, takes one shade of most of the colors of the picture. All of these are like kind of this reddish brown uh, color, and so a lot of the same in Google, and a lot of them are in a, like a grayscale or a black and white, and so uh, even if on the ones that have a sunset, if you kind of meld it down to one color, it ends up being this kind of one reddish-brown color. Um, and so in, in a lot of it, it felt very much the same. Right? I saw a lot of repeated ideas in there. Um, and so it was just interesting to me to contrast that with this sense of, like, growling, right? That, it, again, there's be still and know that I'm God. And there's all those things in the Bible, uh, too. But I think we default to what Google says. We default more to that posture than we do to the full biblical posture. Um, and so, you know, I tried to imagine this lion again. And in the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about this, this idea of, of responding to encounters with our beliefs versus responding to actually an encounter with God. Um, and so I started to imagine a lion that was responding more to its beliefs about its food. Uh, which doesn't really happen because they're not really aware of what they believe. But I was trying to imagine, you know, so, okay, instead of a lion, let's take me when I'm sitting over a plate of pasta with my grandmother's red sauce or something like that, and believe you me, I am growling, right? I am fierce, and no one's going to get between me and that pasta. But just my thoughts about it, I might think, oh, yeah, that's really good, but I don't interact with it in the same way I do as a real encounter with that food. I can't eat my thoughts. Um, as much as I've probably tried. Uh, and they're nothing to growl over for sure. But if that's the case then, if, if there is this real sense, this encounter with God, why do our prayers sometimes seem to feel so flat? Why do they feel stilted or off kilter? And why does it seem so hard to engage with God? And a lot of times we talk about, we start this prayer system when I got this plan and we do it for a couple days and we stop and we feel guilty and we trash the whole thing and then we feel really bad and so then we go no okay that didn't work but I'm going to pray two hours every day now to make up for it and we kind of get in this weird cycle but I think it's because we're not very present in our encounters with God 
And I also think we don't like to interact with the living God who doesn't work by our schedules, our plans, or our understandings. I think we try to control God. And again, last week we talked about how we respond and interact with our beliefs sometimes about God rather than with God. And I believe that comes out really strongly in our prayers. Our beliefs in the immediate, the comfortable, the easy, and I want to feel better right now. They don't lend themselves to a long obedience in the same direction. They don't lend ourselves to a lot of the work that comes up when we have to sit face to face with the real living God who's bigger than we can imagine or know and yet wants to have relationship with us. And that alone in itself is intense and kind of terrifying. Right? Imagine Israel as they come through, right? The, the Red Sea's just been parted. They go through. They're on the other side. And they go, wow, it's awesome, right? And we read in the biblical account, they're so excited, they're safe. And they also turn back and they see God after he's parted the waters, he lets them loose. And they come in and crush Egypt, come in and crush Pharaoh and all his soldiers. And I guarantee you, there was a, there's certainly a celebration thought, but there's also a thought like, what are we dealing with here? Right? This God did just save us, but this God might want us to do some things. I don't want to cross this God. And look what he just did. Who are we dealing with? What if I have to do something that I don't want to do? What if I want to do something that's uncomfortable? Could cost me. Could cost me my very life. Is that the God I want to talk to? Is that the God I want to follow? It's hard for us. Now, I really, really enjoy the Chronicles of Narnia. And unlike many people, I also enjoyed the movie versions. Uh, that came out, and one of my favorite scenes takes place in Prince Caspian. It's a spot where it differs from the book uh, pretty significantly, but I still like it. Uh, To set the scene, I'm going to show a clip in just a second. The youngest of the four children who have found themselves in Narnia named Lucy is riding off to find Aslan. She's seen him a couple other times, has tried to convince her older brothers and sisters to go with her and find him, but they persuaded her not to go, and she's going to find him because they are in a seemingly unwinnable conflict. And at this moment, she's being chased by enemy soldiers as we enter the scene. So let's... stop you from coming to me. I'm sorry. I'm too scared to come alone. Why wouldn't you show yourself? Why couldn't you come roaring in and save us like last time? Things never happen the same way twice, dear one. Is that a camellia? Everyone who died? Can I stop that? We can never know what would have happened, Lucy. But what will happen 
is another matter entirely. You'll help? Of course. As will you. Oh, I wish I was braver. If you were any braver, you'd be a lioness. Now, I think your friends have slept long enough, don't you? In this clip, there's these little pauses that take place. So there's a brief pause when Lucy, she, she gives Aslan this big hug. Aslan's the big lion, in case you didn't, uh, and if you're not familiar with the story. But um, Lucy hugs him and tackles him, and they're talking, and she immediately says, I knew it was you, I knew it was you. But the others, they wouldn't let me come. They didn't want me to go. And Aslan just looks at her and says, well, why would that keep you from coming to me? And you can see her sit and think, oh, she says, I'm sorry. I was too scared to come alone, too scared to come on my own. And Aslan doesn't say, well, that's okay, or that's a dumb reason. He just lets it sit. Even it's just a couple seconds, and he just lets it sit. And how hard is that for us when we're trying to engage with God, and we don't hear anything, and he's just letting things sit? Sometimes I wonder if we don't know how to do, I don't know what to do with God's silence, because we mistake it for him not being there. We also don't want to deal with God's just sitting there staring at us, letting us sit for a bit in our questions and further questions that come off of that. And his response is, we don't like that. But that silence brings up another question for Lucy. Because that silence, after she says, I was scared to come on my own, she says, and why didn't you come and roar in and rescue us like last time? Oh, there's her question. How come you're not here saving us? Last time you did this, how come that's not happening again? Can you hear Lucy's expectations being sorted out? Can you hear her understanding of who Aslan is sort of being taken apart and rebuilt? We don't want that. And so we pray to our ideas, we pray to our beliefs because they don't push back. But they also won't heal. And they won't transform. They're not living. They are made by us and their idols. And they can't bring the real transformation and healing and reconciliation that can only come from a relationship with God. What we need is encounters with the true living God. But that's also hard because we can't control that. We can't make that happen. We can't force God to show up. And we can't force God to meet us in the way that we want and when we want and how we want. You guys know from a few weeks back, I told a story where uh, Dean Peterson and I went riding motorcycles through all these logging roads in the middle of the state. Awesome time. Um, and while we were there, <coughs> had some motorcycle issues. One of my bike broke down. Uh, we worked on it for a bit, and Dean was kind enough to ride in and try to find the equipment we needed to get it going again. And while up there, I talked about how I was sitting on this beautiful hillside. Um, and while I was there... I had this thought, well, I'm alone up on this beautiful cliff overlooking this great view, this awesome sort of scenery of God's creation. This is going to be a moment. I'm going to have time alone with God. I'm going to have probably significant time alone with God, at least a couple hours. Um, and so I'm going to sit here, and you know what? This is going to be one of those moments where 
what's going to happen? I could be taken away. Like, I could have this vision. Like, who knows? But this is the kind, I'm even on a mountaintop, right? This is what it talks about in the Bible. And my face, when Dean gets back, my face is going to be glowing. This is going to be awesome, right? And it didn't happen. And I really tried. Like, I tried to, like, look at the, everything differently. And maybe something's out there. I don't know. And I, what is you know, tried to sing some songs, and it wasn't happening, and it wasn't happening, and it wasn't happening. And so I kind of gave up, and I started going through my ideas about God. Sort of giving theological justifications for why God wasn't showing up. Right? And I had this reason, I had that reason, and it all sort of explained things away. But my deeper question was, God, are you here? And somewhere in all my arguing and theological musings, someplace deep down in my heart that was kind of sitting underneath all of that stuff, that question squeaked out. And I felt myself let it go. God, are you here? The instant that I asked that question, I heard the wind rushing up the hillside. I'd been there for about an hour and a half, and I hadn't heard the wind one time before that. And I sat there still, and kind of in this weird moment of stillness. Not, not fear, not like I can't move, but kind of like I don't want to move. And I instantly went to, okay, so now that you're here, now is when the big thing's going to happen, right? <laughs> awesome. Cool, so here we go, God, take it away. Like, let's get some thunder and some lightning and some low fog probably helps. I started going right back into those things. And, and the press back that I got, after the wind stopped for a second, and then I started to press in, the wind came back, and so I settled myself down. And the sense I got was being asked the question was, didn't you ask me if I was here? And had that same sense of, uh, God's not going to, he wasn't going to explain, right? Just like Aslan doesn't explain. He just says, how come he didn't come to me? Like, and she gives a reason, and he stares at her in a way that says, well, that explains it, but that's not an excuse, right? That doesn't, right? You still could have come to me. Why? And it's the same thing. Like, God was saying, I'm not going to explain. You asked, am I here? And I've told you. And all of a sudden, it took on this very much, God's, you know, when Moses says, well, if I go to the people and they ask who sent me, who should I say? And he said, tell them that I am sent you. I am that I am. Right? It had that feel to it. I'm not going to give you and back all your theological arguments. This is an encounter with me. I am. And it felt a little bit like when Elisha's sitting there in the cave and it says he gets to see God's back. And I was like, I'm looking at creation. I'm hearing this wind and I get to see where God's been. The things he's done. It was an encounter. It was not the one I thought I wanted, but it was the one that I wanted. When we pray, are we encountering God? Because God is present. Or are we leaning into our beliefs or our understandings about God in a way or in some other construct that feels safe and doesn't address our real questions but tries to explain them away or shore up our defenses even against those questions? Because throughout the book of Acts, people are moved to pray and moved out of praying to action. Because the Holy Spirit is not content to just leave us sitting. It could be that I had that moment that day both 
to, to teach me something, both to, to transform me and, and, to, and to do some things in me, but also to you. Because now I've shared that with you. And you can do with that what you want. But the Holy Spirit had moved me. Moved me to a place where today I could share that story. If we look at sort of the, our body, I want to try to use this analogy. And I know it breaks down in some places, so just hang with me. Um, in our body, the Holy Spirit is kind of like our heart. And prayer is like the blood, full of nutrients and oxygen. It goes out to our bodies and drops off all that nutrients and oxygen. It helps our body to move and then heads back to the lungs to get more. It keeps circulating and our heart keeps pumping and pushing that. And when we engage with the Holy Spirit, it's like that. It's like the, our heart starts pumping and that blood starts moving. The things that we're engaged with start going. And we almost feel like we have to get up and move. Because God's stirring something. God's doing something. Sometimes that movement is deeper into more questions, to more things that are hard to deal with and more disturbing, and sometimes it's not. But that is the nature of relationships with real encounters. The other day I was overwhelmed with all kinds of stuff, life stuff, job stuff, home stuff, all kinds of stuff. And I tried playing my guitar for a bit, worshiping, and that things just kept, I literally felt things getting heavier. I felt like I was slogging around the living room. And I finally got down on my knees and knelt in front of the couch and rested my head on the couch and just put my hands up. And I started praying in tongues. And at the same time, my heart was saying, I don't know what I'm praying about. I don't know what to pray. I'm so overwhelmed. And as I continued, I remember hearing the Spirit say, I'm praying for you. And as I continued, I was moving out of praying in tongues and praying in English. And it was just good. It wasn't constrained by th- It felt very freeing. It was honest expression to God. And after a while, I was done. And I got up, and, and not a single one of the things I was stressed about had changed. Not a single one of the things I was overwhelmed with had become less overwhelming. They were all still there. All the emails, the text messages. I still had to pick up my kids at the bus stop after the first day of school and love on them. I was still tired, but I felt like I could stand up. Where before that heaviness, it felt oppressive, physical, just pushing me down. And I felt like I could stand because I had encountered God. My belief in God wants to say that he should remove all those things. He should make those things change and make it easier for me. Make all, make all of everyone else change and not me. But that is an incorrect belief that was being reshaped in that encounter with God, that moment with the Holy Spirit. He empowered and strengthened me. What about when that doesn't happen? What about when it goes deeper and we feel more oppressed in our prayer? In a couple of weeks, we're going to hear some things from our mission team that I think will help with that. Our team that went down to Rancho Stasis Ninos um, that I'm going to save for them. So hang on to that thought. Um, our prayer is in response to the movement of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit facilitates that movement but can also be, we can live out and express our devotion to God in that movement. We often limit prayer to the act of saying something to God. 
What about the acts we do that are in communion with God's will? That's an expression of him, of our love and devotion to him. When we serve the helpless, the poor, and the oppressed, when we stand in the face of and move against injustice, because the prophets did all kinds of things with their bodies to express and live out their interactions with God, and those movements, those actions, their lives became expressions of prayer. We used to sing this song when I was in college by Keith Green, Make My Life a Prayer to You, right? Oh, beautiful song, right? I want to do what you want me to. No empty words, no white lies, no broken prayers, no compromise, right? There's honesty in that song. How can we be honest with God? Because when we limit it to just the conversation we have with God, we, we limit our experience and our encounters with God. My dentist um, is a fantastic guy. If you're ever looking for a dentist to go to who can make the things that dentists do hurt, not hurt, I'll tell you his name later, but he's, he's fantastic. Like, he's done, stuck needles all over my mouth and stuff, and I don't even feel it. And I don't know how it's possible, because every other dentist, even looking at the needle hurts. Um, but we were talking one day, as you do with a dentist, when your mouth is pulled open by the rubber dam, and you're, ha, uh, but somehow we understood each other, because they're fluent in that language, I guess. Um, maybe that's a form of speaking in tongues, I don't know. Um, but, um, but I, he was asking me, he said, you know, being a pastor and you do all this stuff. And he said, I haven't been to church in a long time. And it just feels like when I go to church, they tell me I have to do things this way and that way. And it, it makes me feel like the work I do is not like honoring to God because it's, it's not like prayer driven. It's not this and that. He said, I'm j I just wonder if just being a good dentist can somehow be pleasing to God. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. But what I was saying was, of course it can. Of course it can. That, that, trust me, I want you to be honoring God when you're sticking drills in my mouth and stuff, right? I want you to be thinking that way. But this was like a revelation to him. And we talked many times after that. And I said, your work is an act of prayer. Right? The work you do, if you offer it to God and honor God in that and are mindful of him while you do that, it's an expression, an outflow of who he's made you to be. It is absolutely an act of prayer. And he's told me many times that that was like a light in his life to hear that. What do we do in our lives that's like that? Well, I've talked about how we can't, we can't make these things happen, can't make encounters with God happen. We read in the book of Acts, they prayed People sometimes got knocked off horses. God initiated a lot of those interactions. But there are some things I want to encourage you with that we can do, I think, to help make ourselves open to God. Simple things like our posture, right? This, sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need this. Stand, hands open, right? A posture of receiving, right? Our, our body does inform things about how we're doing and how we're thinking about things and so at times people need to lay down on the floor and pray sometimes they want to lay down on their face sometimes they want to lay down on their back sometimes we want to kneel sometimes we want to stand I think very often in our culture we are much more closed in so I'd encourage you trying stand being in a posture that's open um, I want to encourage us to allow for silent space in our prayers those times where we want to start trying to manufacture stuff that God's saying, just let that silence be and start to ask, okay, what, what is happening in this silence? What, what's the next question that comes up? Right? Maybe I just need to sit and listen for a while. Don't just start. We often think that our prayer starts when we talk and stops when we say amen, and there's so much more to it than that. And so I want to encourage us, 
for being okay with silence in our prayers. I would encourage you to look at scripture to help you identify ways that God has spoken to people, particularly in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, one of the things we used to do on campus was we called it a prayer lab. And we just had all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we just come in and go, okay, let's try this today and see what happened and see where God shows up in that. Is he in there? Yeah, it seems like it. Okay, so let's, what did that, oh, that was interesting. And, and, and we tried to work through those. We have people here, Mark and Claire, Wilson Thomas, who have led a Holy Spirit Corps in the past who would love to talk to you more about that. Uh, and you can talk to each other about that, but this is one of the things they specialize in. So if you want to talk about that with them, please, please do that. Can you guys raise your hands so people can, there you go. Um, awesome people to talk with. Um, because we often don't look for God in, in unexpected places. I had a guy um, who I, uh, sorry, I'm telling a lot of stories today, but that's kind of the way this works. Um, I was walking down from my house to my garage, and I passed him, and uh, he was a homeless guy, and he said, hey, man, you know where a guy can find a glass of water around here? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and there is. There's this mini mart about a block away from my house, and, and they will give people water, right? We've, I've talked to them about this before. Um, but not because I've ever encountered someone asking me for water that way, but because on the 4th of July and stuff, there's people walking around, they give out water and stuff like that. And so I was like, oh, yeah, that mini mart up there, I think they have a glass of water. And he was like, thanks a lot. And he kind of had this weird smile on his face that I was like, oh, well, whatever. And as I walked away down to my garage, I stopped, and I was like, wait, 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 wait. Jesus said something about you give me water and all this stuff. <laughs> and I've never had a homeless person ask me for a cup of water and I was, all of a sudden, I got really scared. Like, was that Jesus in some way? Like, asking me, and here's my moment, and did I? I was like, man, is that okay? Like, I didn't actually give him one, but I kind of told him where he could get one. I hope that's all right. But I am confident to this day that, yes, Jesus was in that moment saying, what are you going to do? How are you going to move? The Spirit was moving. The Spirit stirred me up instantly, and I was like, ah. Oh. And then I looked, and it wasn't because he disappeared legitimately by the time I turned around he could have been way over the hill so but in that moment he was gone and I was kind of terrified uh you know here's this guy who I just talked to and now he seems like poof you know and why am I still staring up the road um but um in, in all of this right I, I hope you don't feel guilty like oh I'm not praying the right way or I'm not praying enough but I hope instead you hear an invitation an invitation away from prayer to our beliefs and to other idols that don't heal or reconcile, and an invitation to live everyday life in the realization that God is ever-present and desires to be with us in the present tense in an ongoing movement and conversation of honesty and love built off that reality of his presence. Um, I have a couple of questions that I want to ask, and the worship team, you could come forward, please. Um, three questions. One, uh, and if you want to, you can write these down in those connection cards, put them in the wood boxes. Great way for us to hear about what you thought about the sermon, things like that. Um, the first one is to think of or describe one of your most memorable encounters with God. Could be anything. Could have been uh, this morning we had an encounter with God during our worship where Jessica had a song that she was given. She came up and asked me, hey, is it okay if I sing this? And we said, absolutely. And so she came up and sang it. For some of you, that may have been way out of your comfort zone. You may have not encountered that before, but that was an encounter with God that happened in the midst of our being gathered together. Okay, so describe one of your most memorable encounters with God. Secondly, what feelings or ideas show up in you when you revisit that encounter? 
When I thought back about the experience on the mountain and the, me trying to force this and God doing this this other way, I felt very stilled. Like, <gasps> I remember that. I remember that. I remember feeling like I couldn't move and for a good reason. Um, and, and so what kinds of things, when you think about that encounter, are stirred up? And then lastly, what directions do you sense God might be inviting you through, you into through that encounter? Um, so whatever it was that you just listed, maybe you already made that movement. Uh, maybe it's something you need to continue to do. But what out of that encounter with him stirred in you that might give you some direction for where you're supposed to be moving? Now let's pray. Dear God, I give you great thanks for your presence here with us. God, I pray that we would move away from just talking about you, move away from even in our prayers just sort of thinking things about you to actually moving towards real encounters with you. God, and I pray we would develop sort of a sense to hear you. God, because I believe that you are present for us. You're present here with us, and you're speaking to us and moving in this space, moving in all the hearts here and in all the hearts in the world. You are active and present. I pray we'd have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to respond to your movement. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would change us. You would transform us. You would move us. God, and specifically in, in relationship to this mission that you have for us to be your witnesses in every situation and in every place we may find ourselves in. I pray we would go to those places, even places that we're scared of, and that we would engage with you, that we would be your witnesses in those places. Holy Spirit, I pray that even when we feel like Lucy, no, I'm not brave enough, we would hear you say, no, you're going, my Holy Spirit's going with you, you're, you're enough, right? That we are the ones you have called to be your witnesses in this place, in this neighborhood, in our own neighborhoods. I pray we would believe that and respond to an encounter with you. I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.